0: One of the real uh, pastoral struggles is that every week, uh, Bethany just says everything I'm about to say to you, and so I have to find a way to uh, keep your attention by saying it in 20 minutes when she says it in, in two. Somehow, uh, <laughs> we are talking about family today, um, and, uh, and actually what, what Bethany just said is what we all need to hear we're going to dive into the scripture just a little more more deeply and ask this question. Um, again, we're continuing this journey about uh, looking into the scriptures and and hearing the questions that Jesus asked fresh and new. Uh, do you remember that book called Are You My Mother? It was like a children's book. It was about a bird, and the mother bird like flies away, and then the bird's born. or I guess it starts as an egg, and then the bird's born, and it's like, oh, who's my mother? And it goes on this journey, and it asks like a cat and a dog, and... And a, a an old beat up truck and a and a tractor and all these things that is trying to find who are my mother, and uh, and it gets rejected over and over and over again, and uh, and then eventually of course the bird gets reunited with its mother and and it finds out who it is and and it's all happy. I was reading it this weekend and actually I found it really tragic, um not because like I understand the story itself being that it's you know it's wonderful for you know, child and mother to be reunited and, and that loving, caring relationship. But all these times, this little bird's going around saying, are you my mother? I don't have anyone to care for me. And all these animals are just rejecting this bird. Nobody's like, I will help you find your mother. Nobody's like, what do you need? Let's figure this out. Um, so so I read it in a different light this week after spending the week with Jesus um, in Mark 3 and and kind of felt like really sad um, about it. But it, it so I wish, I wish one of the animals had helped. Um, like the bulldozer. The bulldozer drops the baby back in the nest. So I guess the bulldozer is the best parental figure in this story. Um, but the question is, how do we define family? Um, in the scriptures, there's, there's this story. It's real short. It's in Mark 3. Um, and, and, uh, and Jesus is, is teaching and just we're in the same situation that we were in last last week. Um, I think it was last week when we, um, when we, uh, looked at, at these stories of Jesus being on this healing experience and, um, and, uh, being kind of surrounded by crowds in the house as the movement's growing. And so anyways, um, what we found out is that as this healing movement has grown and as the crowds have, have really, really grown, um, there's people that kind of think that Jesus is is a little off his off his rocker, and uh, and interestingly, his own family's a part of that. Um, and so, what we find out in in Mark three, um, when Jesus entered a house again, this is verse twenty. When Jesus entered a house, a, a great cow, crowd crowd gathered again, so that he and his disciples weren't even able to eat. When his family heard about this, meaning the crowds and everything, they went to take charge of him, to take charge of him, for they said he's out of his mind. Um, and, and so they, and the teachers of the law, Jesus's own family at the beginning and the teachers of the law are kind of on the same, on the same page here with, we need to remove this guy from his influence. And so anyways, the story progresses, Jesus teaches a little bit, and then we come back to it in verse 31 of chapter 30. Um, then Jesus's mother and brothers arrived standing outside. They sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and your brothers are outside, looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him. So he pauses, probably. Realizes that what's happening here is an opportunity for people to understand the kingdom of God a little more deeply. And he asks the question, Who? Who?" Are my mother and my brothers? He looks around at those seated in a circle around him and said, "Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother." It's worth noting, by the way, that that's that language, that last phrase: "Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother." Um, that's not a uh, that's not just a, an updated translation. Um, from a patriarchal society, that's actually Jesus adding the word sister, because they're, he's talking about mother and brothers, and Jesus is looking around at this you know, um, this group of people here, of men and women in front of him, and he says, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, um, whoever does God's will. What an interesting statement um, that, that we're sitting with. Is, is this story about opposition and rejection of family? Um, I'm going to answer that in two ways. First, I'm going to say we can't breeze over that too quickly. Um, this is actually a real thing in this story. Jesus' family is, um, is actually trying to hinder what Jesus is doing, and they're not understanding his priorities within the kingdom. And, and so Jesus, now what he does is he chooses not to berate them. He chooses not to condemn them. But what he does is, is and he doesn't, he doesn't use his time and energy trying to convince them. What he does is he faithfully remains true to the priorities that are God's heart for him. Um, You'll notice spatially what's happening here, right? There are crowds that are gathering. All this language is about people coming around Jesus, around, gathering around. And Jesus' family, they do what? They stand on the outside and they ask Jesus to come out, to be removed. People are coming in and they're saying, Jesus, come out. All right. And so it's really, really interesting the way Mark presents this, um, because because there's this movement. Which direction? Who's going to move? They want Jesus to come their way. <laughs> but Jesus is saying, hold on, people are coming, coming my way. And that's, that's what needs to happen. So interestingly, um, it's, it's worth our reflection that there is a subtle invitation to join in that Jesus offers. You know, they want him to come away. Um, and he opens the door for them to come in and experience the fullness of God's family. He doesn't say, you're not my family. He says, my family is those who are moving toward this space around me, who, who are seeking to do God's will. That's what family is. And so, so they are able, at any time that they want, to experience the fullness of God's family, of the family of Jesus, in every single way, to join that group and to join Jesus. They can be that truest family, too, if they step toward God's will. Um, so, so yes, there, there is a, there's a hitch, a hitch there in, in this situation, but is this passage actually anti-biological family, you know, anti-biological family statement? And, and this is where, you know, sometimes we can be pitting this against itself and we need to be very, 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 very careful that we do not push the, the rock too far in that direction. Um, because, you know, if we ask the question, does, does Jesus believe in the value of family? Let's just put it to bed right away. What does Jesus say in John 19 as he is hanging on the cross to the disciple John? Mary's there, his mother, and he looks at her and he says, woman, here's your son and son, here's your mother. And the reason he says that is because he knows that he is about to die and he is making sure that there will be someone to care for and look after his mom because he has been doing it. Okay, so so in case we think that, that a passage like this, before we get into it more deeply, is just about rejecting your family of origin. I have no responsibility or care to love them because all that matters is God's family here. That's not really what we're saying. Jesus actually criticizes the teachers of the law in Luke. I can't remember what, what chapter it is. Um, when they are diverting resources that are intended to help support family. And saying no, this is this is being offered to God, and he's saying you're just you're you're trying to look holy, and you're neglecting your responsibilities to love your closest neighbors as your family you know, which which is your family. So, anyways, we're gonna put that to bed right off the bat. That we're not talking about um, this Jesus saying your your um, your nuclear family has no value or doesn't matter, or you have no responsibility to care for them, and you can just reject them because whether or not they're you know in god's family or not that's really not what's going on here so let's not take it too far but oh but i do love that um the the double meaning of john john the the disciple john has been in relationship with jesus all this time and jesus continues considers him family did you notice that so he says you know here is your mother because he's valuing both types of family and John is already family. And so John is going to continue to be family for Mary. Really cool. But anyways, Jesus is asking us to redefine family. All right. Blood relationship is not the only thing or even the primary thing that Jesus is talking about when we, we speak of what life looks like in the kingdom and how we view other people with care. And um, And as with most things, Jesus is not excluding, but enlarging. Really, really, really important to know. Um, in what I think is really interesting, I mentioned the spatial part before. You'll notice that this is a theme over and over in Jesus' ministry. In, um, earlier in Mark, we're told, uh, in verse 13, he went up to a mountainside and he called those that he wanted and and they came to him. And here's what happened. He appointed 12 that they might be with him, that they might be with him. His first reason of calling the disciples and then that they might go out and preach. Um, But the first thing that we're told about Jesus gathering disciples, the purpose, is that they might be with him. So proximity matters in terms of how Jesus views family. All right? Jesus' family, according to him, is the ones who are showing up, sitting with Jesus, hanging out with Jesus. Proximity is required for dynamic relationships. So over and over, we get the phrase, those around Jesus, those with Jesus, those around Jesus. It happens in, in Mark 4.10 as well. So, so anyways, there's this whole movement of Jesus choosing to redefine family and what that means for the life of the church, okay? When Jesus invites us to move beyond our smallest view of family, um, it teaches us to move beyond a number of other things as well. we're just going to look at a few of those. Um, The first thing that if if Jesus invites us to move beyond the smallest approach to family and redefine it, then he also is inviting us to move beyond the Jesus and me approach to faith and instead move toward this sacred community mindset, this mystical mindset of of what it means to be a part of God's family. Uh, You know, we just shared a story of a brother in India across the world. It's uh, let's see, it's really late at night right now for him. Um, and uh, and so so on the other side of the world, uh, where it's dark, where it's light here for us, at the same time we exist as family in Christ, supporting each other, knowing somehow that we are connected, even though most of you have never even met him, and I've only spent a few weeks together. But the, But it's family. On some mystical way. I've sat in Um, in in worship gatherings in rural Zambia and in um, the jungles in Ecuador, where I didn't even understand some of the language that was being spoken. And yet there is a connection point there in understanding that Jesus is the center of both of our lives. And it's something that can't even be described. But it's something that we need to give time and energy to reflecting on, because it redefines how we think about the world around us. Um, I've been in very, very traditional Mennonite churches Uh, where people wear prayer coverings, and I've been in alternative Christian communities of faith and activism in Minneapolis. Um, and, And these all, in different ways, who have their eyes on Jesus, they all share something, something that's mystical, something that's different, that moves me away from my faith being just about me and Jesus and into understanding that I have family everywhere. And there's something incredibly beautiful about it. Um, now, truth be told, my preferred kind of style of worship and the way that I express my faith and live it out is different than any of the settings that I just mentioned. Um, yet, they're my family, and I feel that. I feel that deep in my core, and, and I, it matters. So we move from the Jesus and me approach to faith to the, to the role of sacred and mystical community. Um, we also move beyond, and this is connected, beyond our unconscious bias that we may have toward those who profess faith, um, but uh, are very different than us. And, and we learn to love them anyways. We, we learn that if if the family of faith is people seeking to do God's will. Now, granted, there's we're all hypocritical on some level. And and there are people who, are act, who, who do profess faith, but don't actually desire to follow Jesus. Now, we need to be really careful about passing judgment on that, because we love to do that. It's, it's like a, a, a sport for Christians, is, is deciding who's, whose faith is authentic and whose isn't. Um, That's not really our role to play. But there is truth to that, that there's real hypocrisy of people who would use the name but don't actually seek after Jesus. However, those who do, all right, um, those who do, we learn to listen and love and desire the best for them because they are actually our family. Um, So that's going to just move us into this new direction because I think rather than looking at this passage and pitting um, the nuclear family up against You know, spiritual family. I think it's more helpful for for us to understand what God was or what Jesus was trying to do with God's people, how He was redefining religious community, um, from a religious institution toward a family of God approach. So, um, Melanie's going to just put up two two slides, just the first one, real quick, because I want to talk about this third level of moving beyond. When we move beyond a belief system to a relational community. It is a huge and enormously important transition for our lives. Okay? When we see the church as an institutional religion, um, what ends up happening is uh, the church, number one, it centers on an event. Oh, Sorry, let me adjust something real quick. Okay, um... So the church, it, it, it functions uh, and centers around an event, often at a specific place. So a synagogue, a church building, all of this kind of stuff is what ends up happening. Um, and when, when it's an institutional religion, when that's how we see it, then we understand what it means to be the church as going and being a part of that event, all right? Um, also when the church is an institutional religion, what we end up doing is we, we see it based on following rules and, and doing certain rituals. That is kind of the foundation of how we understand what it means. Okay. Additionally, we earn our status by doing those things. So it's not just based on rules and rituals, but the better that you do all those rules and rituals, the more power you have. Right. And so it's, so it's, we earn our status by, by doing enough of the things to prove that we are, were in it to win it kind of an attitude. Um, within that then, of course, institutionalized church is often driven by, by hierarchy or patriarchy. So there's a high pecking order where the power is used very strongly and there are those with a lot of power and those without power and that is mostly based on title, okay? Um, the, this church, if it's institutional religion, it's experienced through attendance, okay? That's how you kind of define if you're in, by going and doing the thing at the place during the event, right? And then finally, um, when there are differences between various branches of churches, those keep groups distant from each other. They often build animosity because the entire community is formed around the rules and the rituals or the theological approach, all of these things, right? That's That's what we define as what it means to be the church. Therefore, if somebody else has a different view on that, We want nothing to do with them, or at worst, we turn them into enemies. Okay, so let's contrast that then with what it means when we see the church, like Jesus was just saying, as God's family. So take a look at the next slide. Thank you. Um, And so when we do that, instead of the church centering on an event, the church instead centers on relationships. So we move from kind of the synagogue or the church or the service to homes, to coffee shops, to serving with one another, to to conversations, right? So so relationships are the center of kind of um, how this whole thing is expressed. Instead of being based on rules and rituals now, we are being based on being near to Jesus and his will. That's what the sense of kind of um, foundation is, all right? And right there with that, instead of earning our status like we looked at the last system— um, our, our status instead is understood as being adopted by God. So instead of us doing enough right things to earn our place, instead we have this biblical understanding of being adopted into God's family. So we are brought in by God, not by our own efforts, um, and, and therefore we look out and we see everybody as being full of, of God's grace and a gift. Um, instead of being driven by a hierarchy that's really intensely power-driven— uh, the language of this church it becomes sibling-based. And, and that means that there is equality and humility that guides it. It's not that there's no sense of authority ever or influence, but that is earned through humble, loving care, not by a title or um, by achieving a certain amount of things. Um, instead of being experienced simply through attendance, when the church is seen as God's family in a family motif, it's experienced through shared activity, through shared mission. The church serves together, and that's what it means to live out these relationships and this mission of Jesus saying, you're a part of my family if you do my will. Um, and then the differences, instead of keeping groups distant and creating animosity, differences are actually opportunities to learn, they're opportunities to love, and I might even add they're opportunities to celebrate the beauty of God's world and how diverse it is, um, so, so do you see how different these two two ideas can be? You can take the slide off. Thanks, Melanie. Um, w- within that, however, if you do adopt a family of faith kind of a motif for what it means to be the church, there is a risk, too. And that is that um, close ties can equal closed boundaries. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, it's easy to have a high view of relationships, but because you're close with one another to become unwelcoming to outsiders or to new faces. Um, you can easily become a monoculture church where where you just hang out with people just like you. Um, that's not Jesus's vision. We have to understand that true family in Jesus um, is, is diverse and it's robust and it stretches across all cultures and colors and experiences of our world. And and that's what so much of the New Testament is about. Read the book of Acts through that lens, and you will be shocked. Um, it's incredible th- this enlarged understanding of of this new family. So the family image then becomes the dominant metaphor for the Christian church in the New Testament, um, along with body of Christ. Those are the two the two driving driving motifs that the New Testament uses to talk about God's church. You know, believers are addressed as brothers and sisters in Paul's writing. Um, the churches are called spiritual families, households of faith. John, in in his book, uh, in the book of First John, he writes to dear children this family language, right? Um, Jesus is our older brothers, our older brother in Hebrews two eleven. Uh, it it happens all over the place. Romans and Galatians uh, speak to us as uniting as we call God Abba, Father. This intimate form of a child calling out to to Daddy. Right, and so there's this family language that that connects us. Um, so the the point though is that when family is our our working metaphor, then we learn to move through the things that could divide. There are so many things today that keep people apart. So many things, um, so many dividing walls, so many lines drawn. But Jesus in the scriptures becomes a wall destroyer and a and a line eraser. Okay. Um, Jesus makes us makes us one. And that doesn't mean that we lose our beautiful diversity. Um, but it, what it means is that Jesus becomes the truest, most deep identifier. And this is a conversation we need to have in, in a deeply divided church in America right now because we're often missing out when we misunderstand passages like, like Galatians 3, right? In Christ, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ... Have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What a beautiful passage. But listen to how Esau Macaulay, a brilliant theologian, kind of helps us understand how important it is to get this part right in a time of cultural dividedness. Uh, here's what he says I'm going to repeat the first sentence twice because it's that good. Um, God's vision for his people is not the elimination of ethnicity to form a colorblind uniformity of sanctified blandness. Think about that. God's vision for his people is not the elimination of ethnicity to form a colorblind uniformity of sanctified blandness. Instead, God sees the creation of a community of different cultures united by faith in his Son as a manifestation of the expansive nature of his grace. This expansiveness is unfulfilled unless the differences are seen and celebrated not as ends unto themselves, but as particular manifestations of the power of the Spirit to bring forth the same holiness among different peoples, and cultures for the glory of God. Oh, this should speak to the unique role that we have to play in God's church across our country and our world. Our our blood family is now bigger than you ever thought possible. Bigger than you ever thought possible because we have the lifeblood of Jesus flowing in us through our shared confession and our shared communion. And we are under the blood of a self-sacrificing God willing to die to end the dividing wall of hostility. That's how Ephesians puts it. To end the dividing wall of hostility between people and create a new humanity in jesus himself hmm. it's time for us to be the church in big ways that understands that it is expressed through love of god and love of neighbor on the broadest sense um it's time for us to to understand what it means to be family to celebrate the god-given cultural uniqueness among our brothers and sisters to embrace one another in new and challenging ways. We mourn with those who mourn, and we've been trying to do that as the church because we are family. Even when people have different perspectives or life experiences or when their stories are different or when you can't understand someone else's pain, we make the choice to stand together and walk with each other. That's movement toward family. Um, Here's the thing, though. Some of you are like, yes, 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 preach it. But here's the thing. Unfortunately, that doesn't mean that you only get to love those people who are different from you that you feel deserve the compassion. Okay? Some of you might want desperately to love and care for uh, for marginalized communities right now whose stories are different from yours, but you find them easy to love and advocate for. But you have no capacity to try to love the Christians who are on the other side of that spectrum who you may disagree with. In choosing Jesus, we give up the right to choose who is deserving of our love. And if people are centered on Jesus, actually genuinely centered on Jesus and seeking after him, then they are in our family and ought to be treated as such. Uh, Some of us, we got to stop thinking, you know, that, uh, that because someone does something you don't like, they cease to be your brother. Um, or because someone interprets the Bible differently than you, then they cease to be your sister. Uh, That's outrageous. None of us has an absolute corner on the truth or on every correct interpretation uh, or has has everything figured out. That was never the point even. Our center point is not correct perspectives, but it's the living, dying, and resurrected Jesus. This is how we walk as a family in a world that is hell-bent on dividing us. Um, in a world that demands allegiances to ideals rather than loving, complex relationships that are founded on sacrificial love. So we have to decide if we're going to relate to each other, you know, as brothers and sisters. And, and we, I can't answer this question for everybody, but what does it mean that, uh, you know, that in, in terms of what we've been dealing with as a country lately, what does it mean that George Floyd was a, was a brother, you know, as, as a professing Christian? Um, what if, and we talked about this on, as our pastoral team, what if Derek Chauvin was a brother? I don't know. I tried to find out if, if this was someone who professed faith um, in, in Christ or not. But how does that affect, or how does even looking at someone as human affect how we view all of these things? Many Christians have done many awful things. Many Christians have done many beautiful things. It's complicated. And we all have brothers and sisters who are either going to be perpetrators victims, or bystanders of injustices in the world and of heartbreaking moments. Um, How do we respond as a family? What do we do? I mean, sometimes it's going to look like advocacy, knowing that it's time to say, hey, your attitude is damaging, right? Sometimes it'll look like encouragement and support, looking at somebody and saying, hey, I see you. How are you doing? I see you. Sometimes it's going to look like education. I want to learn more about your experience and perspective because it's different than mine. We should wrestle with this stuff. And it goes way beyond kind of um, just talking about uh, racial or, or or cultural issues or anything like that. We need to spend time asking ourselves, what does it mean to be family? What does it mean to be family? Real family. Um, do I act like it? Am I practicing real brother sister relationships within the church? Um, do I even know the rest of my family beyond our local church that that looks and doesn't act that doesn't look and doesn't act like me? Um, theologically, culturally, generationally, do you have relationships with someone that's twice your age, a Christ follower that's twice your age, or a Christ follower that's half your age? You should. You're missing out so much. Um, there's such a gift that God has given us. So. All right, as we, as we um, wrap up this time, the two kind of ideas and encouragements that I just want to leave you with. Um, one is that one of the most beautiful things about this statement that Jesus makes is that no Christ follower is without family, ever. Some of you live on your own. Some of you have no living parents. Some of you live far from where you grew up. Some of you have estranged relationships with your blood relatives or your nuclear family, as heartbreaking as that is. But you are not alone. You have family, real family, locally here and all across the globe. How mystical and beautiful is that reality to realize? Do you understand the beauty and the wonder in a truth like that? It's incredible. What a gift. Um, No matter what happens, there will always be a spiritual family and a loving father to return to. Always. For every single one of us. And the second beautiful thing is that your family is now multicultural, more multicultural than you could ever imagine. More diverse than you're even comfortable with. (laughs) Can you embrace that? Can you embrace the beauty of a faith and a family that stretches beyond time and beyond culture and beyond nations and beyond generations? Get to know your family better. It's a gift. It's a gift. Jesus made us for this. Made us for this. Wanted us to be in his family so badly. Wanted us to be sisters and brothers. Let's obey Jesus in the command to learn to be family and to live as such. Let's pray. And then we'll uh, have just a couple minutes for breakout rooms and then um, share in, in communion in a closing song. Father, we thank you that you invite us to even call you Father, that this is the way that you think about people, that there's... that when you imagined what it would be like to relate between God and humanity, that the image you got was family. We thank you so much for that gift. We understand that this is not how the world often functions. Give us grace, humility, strength to love well amen okay gang uh breakout rooms for four or five minutes and uh just a chance for you if you want to to share anything that's stirred